Welcome to the Just Go Grind podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Ryan Buick, co-founder of Canvas, a data exploration tool for business teams to automate manual reporting, build dashboards, and answer ad hoc questions, all without needing SQL. Let's dive in. Ryan, welcome to the show. Justin, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And with Canvas, a lot to talk about with building this company, growing this company, the need for Canvas. But for people who are like, what is Canvas to begin with? Ryan, what is this company? Yeah, totally. So uh, at Canvas, we help uh, really anyone with an operational background, anyone who doesn't you know, consider them, themselves technical, but they're analytically minded. We help them get all their data in one place, uh, be able to uh, really analyze that data, explore it, uh, be able to share it with their team and ultimately, you know, make faster, better decisions without needing to know SQL or, you know, really having those, those technical skills. Especially now it's needed more than ever, because there's always just more data in different ways. I think as we go on, there's more and more every single day, it seems like, and to have yeah. this something that's helping to make it easier for founders is obviously really useful. But for this, how did this get started in the first place, Ryan? Why, why Canvas? Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go with a bit of the longer version of the, yeah. the story. So um, really got the first idea for Canvas. I joined Flexport. Um, for those of you who don't know, basically a tech-enabled freight forwarder. Um, <laughs> so I joined as one of their first uh, product managers uh, a handful of years ago uh, and really saw it take off from, you know, 100 people to, you know, 2,500 people by the time I left. And one of the uh, the sort of more interesting things that I saw when I got there was just how data driven the company was, um, but how hard it was for people that didn't know SQL, um, you know, or advanced SQL like myself to be able to really grab that data and independently and confidently work with it. And so I actually, you know, had some pretty bad anxiety starting out there because before I was a PM and had a data person sort of, you know, that you could ask questions from and it was relatively easy. But with Flexport, there's so much data uh, that you had to make decisions with. And we didn't have a data team really at the time. Um, so I had to figure out how to do this all myself. So I actually did a boot camp um, to go and learn you know, data analytics. Um, and so did that. And then at the same time, saw uh, really how hard it was for the organization to roll out you know, uh, for thousands of operators to roll out the data that they needed to give them an interface to comfortably play with that data. Right. Really, if you're an operator today, you only have like sort of two paths. One is like get in line with everybody else and ask your question and yep. you get something back and you're like, OK, this is kind of what I wanted. But I now need to ask 12 new questions and then you have to figure out what your you know data analyst favorite whiskey is to bribe them to you know, <laughs> keep getting uh, keep getting your answers. Um, or you basically have to export to CSV and work out of spreadsheets and do the same repetitive index match or VLOOKUP or whatnot. So. We saw how hard that was, my co-founders and I, who are early engineers there, um, and we had worked on internal data products as well. Um, and we decided, hey, why not um, try to give you know everyone sort of a spreadsheet style interface, something that they're familiar with, comfortable with, um, give them an interface to the data that they need. And so we uh, we left Flexport to, to go and build that ourselves. With this as well. So Anytime I, someone mentions what they're building and everything, I naturally, my brain goes to, okay, great. Like, who'd you get your first customers as? Like, who were those people? Because there's always the grand vision for where you want to get to. And a lot of people, it's like enterprise sales, massive contracts. Great. Okay. What were like your first 
customers like who would you first target i'm curious about that with canvas yeah totally um so we left uh left flexport basically had a loose idea of what we wanted to do um but we were lucky enough to be in you know san francisco silicon valley where we had a ton of friends that had worked you know at other you know startups and so we just honestly talked to as many people as we could um, we had a, a general idea of making data easier for everyone um, but we weren't coming from the data space. We didn't have a ton of context, you know, on, on the data stack and the data tools, but frankly, we felt like that was a strength. Most data tools are built by data teams for data teams under the you know, sort of guise of business intelligence. Yep. And we actually felt the pain firsthand as operators and wanted to, to go and solve that pain. So, um, really, you know, talk about just grinding, just reaching out to everyone, you know, from your you know, high school, you know, grade school classmates, uh, you know, for user research and interviews and asking them, Hey, what's, what's the, what's your workflow? Like, what's your day to day? Like, what's the number one pain that you have? Um, and is that something you'd be willing to pay for if we could solve that? And so we really just did that for, you know, a, a handful of months and, um, you know, simultaneously we're doing the fundraising thing and, uh, you know, we're able to, uh, to put together at least a prototype and a, you know, early version of the product and work with folks as design partners and just say, Hey, you don't have to pay now, but we know the problem that you have. Let's work together on solving this and, and hopefully get you to value. So a lot of the first customers are honestly just friends, um, you know, personal connections, friends of friends. With that too, with the early product that you took to them, obviously you said, okay, like, use this product. We want, we want the feedback more than anything to make sure this is good build the right thing, et cetera. But what did that early product look like compared to what it is today? If it is much different at all, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm curious on what that looks like. Yeah, totally. Um, so we had this, you know, original conception of, okay, let's, you know, build, a, you know, a, a, the spreadsheet of the future, right? Let's go and get these teams out of Google Sheets, out of Excel. Um, and there's a, a large graveyard of startups that have tried to do that. And then I think we've, we've found out, you know, some reasons why, which is a lot of these teams, you're going to you know, have to pry Excel from their cold dead hands. Right. Yeah. And so our original inception sort of turned into, okay, well, a lot of the problems are actually around getting data all in one place and getting data in a, you know, a easy to access manner. Right. A lot of it is, you know, today at startups is data teams building out this data stack, you know, centralizing all the data within your warehouse, transforming the data to make it reasonable and then putting it into some dashboards. Um, and so what we found is actually the biggest pain was around sort of getting that all into just one easy to use simple package where you didn't have to spend months implementing a data stack and having someone technical to implement it and, or, you know, spending a, a fortune on consultants. Um, and so what we ended up with is actually relatively like a, a data stack in a box. And so we actually give you access to best of breed tools. We put you on that, uh, stack and you just connect your apps and your database, which is relatively accessible for most operators. Um, and you get what you need without, you know, months and, and, you know, 10 X the cost of, of what you would get with canvas. With that too. So with that product and those early users, you mentioned you're kind of building the product along the way, fundraising at the same time. Did you like, how much of a window did you have? Like, okay, we have to fundraise right away for this because we know we just need money to be able to fuel this. Like just take me through that experience fundraising alongside of also building a product at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I think like first the, the VCs that, you know, uh, are going to come to you and, you know, we are coming from blue chip sort of tech yep. startups and, you know, in the Valley and like, we are pretty confident in that side. But, um, when you say that you're tackling a problem as 
large and as hairy as, as what we were tackling. Um, having a prototype, having a product that showed that you have technical chops and that you're different, I think was a, a big focus for us. And we knew that the best VCs would respond well to that. And so that's really sort of what we tried to do first, um, come to the table with VC conversations of, hey, we're not, you know, uh, some engineers building this thing that we want. We're actually talking to people and we have, uh, you know, evidence and, you know, things that we can point to people that are willing and waiting for us to build this product. They've signed a, you know, a LOI or something like that. Right. Um, so we, we sort of, you know, tried to do it very quickly, right. We didn't want to sort of bootstrap this. We didn't want to dip into our savings. Um, and so we gave ourselves kind of, you know, a couple, couple months to basically say, okay, let's talk to hundreds of people. Let's build the prototype and let's go and fundraise sort of simultaneously, um, which I, I, I think worked out well in the, in, in the end, especially because, you know, you don't want to, um, you know, veer off in a direction that's like, hey, it's a cool product, but no one wants to use it or <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not solving a real problem, you know? Yeah. Um, and so thinking in, in terms of those three things all at once, um, I think helped us, you know, ground ourselves to reality. And I think you know, investors appreciate that. To that point with the product you launched with then, what was the feedback you were getting from those early users? Obviously they were using it for free at the time. So take what you want, like you think they're going to pay for it, et cetera. But like, what was the feedback you were getting from them that was like, okay, totally validated on these points, maybe not so on these points, like what they love most about it. I'm curious. Yeah. I think going back to like making it easy for them to get the data that they need um, in one place, much more so than the analysis portion. Um, I think that was sort of the key thing that we were starting to hone in on and, you know, ended up with the strategy that we have today. Um, and I think we definitely had teams that, you know, design partners that would take us farther away in this direction of, okay, we're actually just building them Google sheets. And I don't think that's, you know, or Excel. And I don't think that's actually a, a winning proposition here. Um, because there's a lot to build, uh, if you're gonna, <laughs> yes. if you're gonna do that, I think you might, I think you might die trying. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was uh, a realization. And I think a lot of it comes from like having skin in the game. So we didn't like say, okay, you're going to use this for free for, you know, however long it was more so like, Hey, let's pick it. Let's put together a plan, right? Let's get a month together. Here's what the product looks like today. Here's the two or three things that you've asked for, right? These are in line with our, our long-term, you know, that's long-term as it is when you're couple couple guys Star on plan. a couch in an apartment um <laughs> but you know this is this aligns with we think where we want to go um and then holding them accountable and making sure they have skin in the game to say okay if we get this delivered let's sign a contract with that too so going from the free it's not really free but it's really testing it out for now knowing that you're going to obviously pay if it's something that works out the business model behind this a lot of enterprise sales are like the actual, how much you're going to charge for the pricing can be different. I look at the website, there's like a free trial looks like, or free something. And then there's different tiers of that. Just take me through how you thought about pricing this based on the value and everything. I'm just curious on how you thought about it. Cause I know founders are always like, how much do we charge? And there's a playbook somewhat for like certain SaaS products, but this is like, I'm just curious on how you thought about the pricing. Yeah, this is definitely uh, something we spent a lot of time on. And I think it's like something that's honestly just kind of stressed overly in the early stages and like you go to people for help and they're just like you know it's an art not a science like yeah you'll figure it out um i think for us where the the business model came to to where it made the most sense is when you're going into a crowded space right like data is pretty saturated um a lot of people looking at us weird when we said we wanted to build the you know the next gen of bi tools right um 
I think when we were looking at the market, we were looking at a lot of things that felt old to us. Um, we were looking at things that were, you know, pricing was vague. Um, you had to talk to sales. Um, you had uh, your price per seat, right? And then you end up with, you know, these long drawn out implementations that like, I don't think are good for anyone. Um, you can't try the product. You can't kick the tires on it. Um, a lot of, you know, technically savvy minded people just want to be able to play with the product and not have to talk to someone. Um, so we tried to really organize it around a product led motion, right? Giving them an ability to get a taste of the product, to try it out, um, see what they like and don't like, and then let's start a conversation from there and also not charge per seat, which, you know, if you're at a company, you then see, you know, 50 people are using the same login for, you know, for a tool. Uh, and so we tried to really just be as different, as many different levers as we, as we could there. Um, and I think that's sort of been an informing you know, something that's worked really well for us across the board, which is question the status quo, because if you don't, you're, you know, going to end up looking the same as everyone else. And that's the last, the, that's going to make it just everything so much harder downstream. Um, there's this amazing, uh, you know, story about cake pops and like when they were coming up, I don't know if you've seen this. No, like I haven't heard it. Go ahead. Famous, like this famous, like positioning, uh, I don't know if it's famous, but this like positioning case study where, uh, the cake pops team, which is in like every Starbucks right now, they originally started selling it as like, you know, cake, like basically cake on a stick or it was like just cake. Right. And like the Starbucks in the market was like, who, what adults are going to want to eat, you know, cake for breakfast. Right. Um, and so they started positioning it as cake pops instead, which is something that is new. It's something that's different, even if it's just a name. But I think that goes back to like when you're trying to think about positioning early, be as different as you can and see what happens and see how that changes the the perception of what you're doing. What was it that initially made you even think that way though, in terms of being different in that capacity? Was it just like, you're seeing all these things in the market that are the same over and over. You're like, okay, we're not going to do that because people hear that and like, oh yeah, be different. Like, great. Like, but how do I actually do it? So it's, to your point, you mentioned differences you have in pricing, but what feels, what actually got you over the edge? You're like, all right, we have to though. Like we, we literally have to try this different stuff. I'm just curious on how you were thinking about that. What got you to that point with that too? Yeah, totally. And I, I don't think it's being different just to be different. Yeah. I think it's being different in a way that you want the world to be, right? Like none of us, none of my co-founders and I want to have to talk to a sales rep to try out a product. Like I don't yeah. care how complicated it is. I'm still <laughs> going to go through that, that like journey. And if you've That's made true. it simple enough, then like even more credit, I'll want to talk to your team if I can at yeah. least get to some value. So I think that was one thing. And then I think talking to as many folks as possible, like when we did, we started seeing just how many teams were either not actually, their whole team wasn't using the tool, which for us was insane because it's a data tool. Like everyone, like you're talking about democratizing, you know, data, but then you're charging per viewer license. Yeah. Um, and so we're like, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. And so basically as a sort of this loop of, looking at the the existing status quo, seeing what we didn't like, and then seeing what we could be different on the things that we didn't like uh, and what that would look like. In the early days, you mentioned talking to basically everyone you knew early on <laughs> and the first few months was just like, who do we know we can talk to about this product and has this need? Eventually though, you did raise 4.2 million at least from Sequoia, other like just two dozen individual investors. You raise money, have some cash, great, helpful what has fueled growth 
what does that look like moving forward? Because I, I know there's always a progression from getting your first customers and validation to, okay, but we're, but we're creating a scalable company that becomes multi-billion dollar. Like what is field of growth or how do you think about growth since those early conversations? Yeah. So we, we've tried to stay pretty lean, right? Cause we want to make sure that we like get to the thing that, that is really working before then we decide to scale. Yeah. Um, and so in that spirit, right? Like you can try out with, you know, ads and, and, and it's like, you should be able to experiment with these different, different growth strategies, but like, keep it tight, keep it refined, um, run an experiment for a month, set out with your plan of like, Hey, there's the things that we want to try and then come back after the month and see, okay, these are the things we proved, right. These are things that are working well. Um, and so we've, we've tried a few of those. Um, but I think the, the thing that I really wish that we did earlier was just around the content side. Um, because that's, you know, blogs, these podcasts, right. They accrue value over time. They give you a chance to be your authentic self, which might be different than what else is out there in terms of like, yeah. you know, the corporate sort of speak and, and, and blog posts that you'll see elsewhere. So that's something that we've just been like, hey, let's write a, a blog that comes to mind and just start creating habits there. I think that's one thing that I wish that we had, we had done earlier and it's starting to pay off now. Yeah. Um, and definitely tried to experiment with some, some paid ads. Um, and then really i think using our our site as a like a key sort of instrument and driver for product-led growth right which is we have a loom video of our demo front and center in the site that you can click on to actually understand what the product looks like and and it is like without having to you know take a call for a demo and so people really respond well to that um and really trying to use just you know any sort of opportunity that you have to say, okay, here's the experience that you're going to get with our product. Here's our brand voice. Here's who we are. Um, without having to spend a ton of money, I think has been a, a, a key for us. It's interesting. You mentioned like that too, on the content side of it. And I'm, I'm very admittedly super biased about content, but I've seen that how it benefits different companies and like career karma is a good example. And they have all this content around people, getting people in like so software engineers into boot camps. They crush it. I just talked to Mariam from softer, a no code tool, um, right before this call, previous interview, right before this, they're thinking about content way more with what they're doing. Cause there's a whole education piece on no code. So you see yes. these companies more and more start to think about content and how it drives it. And to the point you mentioned, which I think is the golden part of it. If you do it in the right way, like those assets just become more valuable. Having done podcasting for like four years now, those episodes from four years ago still get downloads and views. Like that is insane to me, but it yes. still happens. And I've had people who were like, yeah, we raised, we got raised from our first angels because they heard your podcast after doing a Google search. I was like, what? That was like years back already. So it's like the value of that for any founders thinking about content. It's obviously an investment you have to make to be able to do that and do it yes. well, but yep. the, they just keep accruing in value over time. So it's so worth it if you can pull it off in that way too. Totally. And like, of course, the obvious one is just make a product that people love, right? Um, <laughs> helpful. Like the, helpful. <laughs> the, the, the word of mouth piece, like it just works in pretty incredible ways. And so if you have, you know, your early customers and you treat them right and you do the right thing and, and help them out, they see you as a consultant. They see you as a, you know, someone who's going to help you think about data in our particular instance, right? But like, you know, we had one of our uh, customers that they were presenting canvas in their board meeting, just not using a deck, just straight from the canvas, yeah. uh, which is like our version of a dashboard. Um, and we had, you know, investors reach out to that. We're in the room saying like, Hey, they've never seen a tool like this. So like you start to do these, uh, these pretty interesting, you see, you start to see these interesting word of mouth, um, growth aspects as well. 
just from people using the tool and, and it being different. With Canvas as well, with those early customers, you know, you get a certain set of feedback from your early customers and you're trying to figure out a lot with the product and what to build, but also for who. Take me through more of that today, what that looks like for Canvas in terms of who you're targeting, who you're going after, like who are the best people to use this this product? I'm just curious on more of that. So for founders wondering about if it's for my team or people listening, is it for my team? Like, I'm just curious more on that side of Canvas as well. Yeah. So we uh, really see ourselves as the simplest, easiest way to get data-driven as an early stage startup. So founders are um, totally uh, top of mind for us as a, as a persona, right? Because you're the one that has to think about these board metrics. You're the one that's getting heat from your investors and not being data-driven enough because you're still <laughs> presenting out of Google Sheets. Um, you're the one that's not able to answer you know, some of these questions on the fly because you can't dive into the numbers live and double-click and see you know, why your CAC for this particular cohort is, you know, is, is higher. Um, so founders, we see ourselves as a really easy way to just say, Hey, connect your apps, connect your database. You don't have to worry about hiring a data team, hiring data consultants, you know, getting that all in one place. Um, so we're a really fast, easy way for them. Uh, and then also for data teams that are just underwater, that they're getting so many requests from the business. We work with their existing stack. So work with your existing warehouse, work with your existing, uh, you know, data tools and say, Hey, just, just here's a self-service sort of ad hoc interface for your business teams so that you're not answering a hundred slacks a week and you can actually start to scale your own work and, and shift that onus to the business team and just help them out when they need help rather than, you know, being responsible for turning over every, <laughs> every SQL query, uh, you know, Sounds miserable. every day. <laughs> <laughs> for, for you, just as we kind of wrap things up here, I'm curious, you were in product management before. We mentioned being at Flexport. Um, different than being a co-founder of a startup, though. How yes. has this experience been so far? Any challenges along the way? Things you wish maybe you had known a year and a half or whatever it was ago when you started this? I'm, I'm curious about that because I know there's a lot of first-time founders who've been listening and uh, curious in that transition for you and how that's gone. Yeah. Um, there's that like classic, like PMs are like the CEOs of their, their product. <laughs> and it's like, no, mm -hmm. you just said... You're more often a, a janitor and, and picking up the, the craft. So I think that was like <laughs> a, I think that was a good, like sort of the like PM skills translate well, I think yeah. to, to some of the founder uh, lifestyle. I think like the, the biggest gap that like, I just wasn't familiar with is just go to market and being able to sell something. Uh, yeah. It's a lot easier to ask for, for feedback as a PM when someone's already bought your product and. They want you to fix it or make it better. Um, but I think when you're trying to actively sell, like, I think that's something that if you don't have experience with, like figure out how to start picking up some experience with that, um, figure out how to get someone from a problem statement to, uh, here's a solution to how much do you think, you know, what is the value that you think this provides? Right. So I think that sort of sales minded, um, approach is like something that complements the PM skill set really nicely in order to become a founder. Um, yeah. And then learning like sort of growth, like growth, like marketing, those different, uh, those different skill sets, something I think is most PMs don't have to, to touch a lot unless you're like a growth PM at a consumer company, like I was B2B SaaS. Yeah. Um, so think about like rounding out like the rest of the, the, the sort of skills that, that a founder needs. Um, even through side projects, even through, you know, maybe do some like PM consulting, maybe, you know, figure out how to, um, 
how to sell something, how to market yourself, uh, I think has been, has been really key. There's definitely something there with the, the sales side of it, especially as founders, because you're really, you're selling to investors, you're selling to potential employees, you're selling to customers, you're selling your ideas internally that you want. There's just so many aspects that everything like ties back to selling as founders, it seems like. And people I've talked to for the last four years, like just reigns true throughout all of those. So you're selling something. And even that's like, oh, what about the next stage when you're at like, you're raising another round of funding. Oh, it's a different challenges, but it all still kind of comes back to selling. And now it's more like our team is growing super fast and we're having more engineers. So we're selling them. And it's like the vision as that goes on, why is there more growth? And it's like, it's just this theme that for any founder learning to sell in some capacity, it's worthwhile if you're even thinking about being a founder at some point. So I always tell people that as well. And I know we're almost out of time here. Where is just the best place for people to learn more about campus and connect with you if they'd like to as well, Ryan? Yeah, for sure. Um, so our site is canvasappapp.com. Uh, um, you can check out a demo, uh, like I said, on, on the site there. Um, you can actually get started, connect your data, whether it be your apps, your database, your warehouse. Um, you don't have to talk to us. You can get through the product right <laughs> out. Um, and uh, you can also uh, uh, reach out to me on Twitter. Um, handles Ryan J. Buick, uh, like the car. Um, and would love to, you know, hear about some of the, the issues that you're dealing with and, and try to help you out. Perfect. Ryan, I appreciate the time today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.